Before we get started, a quick word about our no-ad subscriptions. We're not supported by anyone but you. We don't get Zuckerbucks. We put a lot of effort and money into building a global company, all the way from Ukraine to Taiwan. We bring reporters from around the world the best news you will find anywhere. So please support us with our no-ad subscriptions. Go to the top right of any of our sites, and it'll say subscribe with no ads. There you'll find, for 10 bucks a month, access to all of our sites with no pop-up ads on your phone. People love it. So please support us. We need your help. We really do. It's expensive what we're doing, and we need to grow to save the republic, and we can't grow without support. So thank you very much. Welcome to this episode on the Sunday, the 1st of October 2023. And it once more seems like the world has hit the fast motion button when we thought it couldn't. But so much stuff happening literally everywhere. All kind of crises that we thought were solved or that we had kicked down the can in the long grass. Turns out the can keeps rolling back on the number of conflicts. Before we dive straight into those. Um, quick recap of last week's episode with our Ukrainian caller, Alex, because it really um, merits pondering on it um, in, in a lot of ways, key takeaways, particularly for the listeners and viewers who couldn't view the episode, but if you haven't, please watch it. Um, but a couple of key points of that. Um, Alex mentioned an interesting phenomenon about Ukraine, which in the East-West German conflict, we used to call the one part of East Germany that couldn't receive Western television, we used to call that part the Valley of the Clueless. And um, Alex seemed to have uh, um, referred that that actually is true for the most of Ukraine. So the media has been, as, as we say in Germany, there has been a Gleichschaltung and, and sort of equalization of the media, kind of like the current German media, but much more um, overtly. So for many, many Ukrainians, they only receive one point of view. Then what we sadly found out, there is quite a bit of hate propaganda and a couple of soldiers genuinely say that their biggest um, motivator is killing Russians. But there was another remarkable point. So quite often it's presented to us that Ukraine is this monolithic block. It is a small, well, not so small, but smaller country defending itself against a much bigger country. But Alexei drew the picture of a two-class kind of Ukraine. So there seems to be the Western Ukraine that seems to be sort of bullying the rest of the country into being more like real Ukrainians, sort of starting to speak Ukrainian and behave more Ukrainian. And so, so he drove home that point quite well. And that still, I remain white-pilled to a degree as he seemed to be a very measured guy who was able to call this out. And another remarkable thing on the back of that two-tier Ukraine, as it were, he didn't think it to be entirely... Um, far-fetched to see that after the war, Ukraine might actually break apart. So who knows? We might have the Western part, but you know that is actually that actually speaks Ukrainian. And then the Central Ukraine, that actually has always been speaking Russian, including Kiev, including President uh, President Zelensky, and then the other part that might very well be absorbed by Russia. So it remains an interesting space, and 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 uh, Fabian yeah. is burning to no, say. No, and I I, like I would just like to add that first of all, I was. I mean, it was a, an incredibly enlightening episode. Um, and the way Alex explained the configuration of Ukraine really opened my eyes to the fact that he's basically, he said, what, he, what he told us was that Western Ukraine, I mean, so it's not even Eastern Ukraine or Central Ukraine, but it's Western Ukraine, a, a region used to be known as Galicia. Um, that this is the region that dominated uh, or is dominating or the, the, the nationalism of that region is dominating the narrative of this war. 
Um, and what's even more fascinating, and now we're entering South Park, is what happened in the Canadian Parliament that the um, SS veteran <laughs> who was um, receiving fighter. standing ovations from the Canadian Parliament and, um, of course, Prime Minister Trudeau, as well as... Um, the great Zelensky um, in his in his in his green uniform. I mean, these. I mean, this this is beyond comical. And now, it's interesting is the man himself, Yaroslav Hunka, SS Division Galicia, is from Western Ukraine, the the area around uh, Lemberg, Lviv. What what Alex was saying. Now, just a brief recap on the on, on this interesting fact. I know we live in a time where people are incredibly historically naive or uneducated. But if there's one time period in history that people get gurgled down their throats, it's obviously World War II. I mean, a year doesn't go by with a new Netflix series or movie that Hollywood produces on World War II. If there's any time period people should be somewhat educated about, it's that time period. Now... You have an old man who fought for Ukrainian independence. Only in a certain way. Not, not <laughs> Only in a certain way, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're fighting for Ukrainian independence. Shouldn't you check the years that this guy fought? <laughs> and if you did, shouldn't you check out, like, what division he was fighting in? I mean, this is a research project of about five minutes from some department in the Canadian Parliament. They didn't even get that job done. Congratulations, Canada. It, well, it let, let me let me expand on that because um, and no, I'm not in a weed farm. I'm in a hotel in Florida, just just to put that out there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so we put out. We've done a lot of research into Christia Freeland and the Ukrainian, or excuse me, well, Ukrainian Canadian finance minister who put grandma's froze grandma's bank accounts that supported the truckers uh, when they invaded Ottawa and stopped the vaccine injections. Uh, that were killing Canadians. She, her grandfather was a legit Nazi. We have a piece up, multiple pieces in cdm.press. He, her last name is not Freeland. Guess what Freeland is? It's a Nazi slogan from Galicia, free the land. So she came to Canada, changed her last name to a literally Nazi slogan. See that on South Park. <laughs> and, and she is essentially going to nationalist Nazi demonstrations, OMB demonstrations in Canada. And there's pictures of this we have on the site also. One more thing, and I'll give it to you, Christian. The, when they showed up, the Ukrainians showed up to negotiate with Russia the first time, the Ukrainian negotiators all had flight jackets on from the Waffen-SS flight unit from Galicia, from World War II. So there you go. <laughs> no, no, but, but just, to, just to add on one thing, so you have... Miss Freeland in Canada, mm -hmm. and you have Miss Newland in the United States. In the state, she's Department. Ukrainian too, and she's, she's Ukrainian too. So yes. I mean, this is beyond comical, right? You, but I mean, you, re you realize what you, you realize what free the land means. It means get rid of all those Jews and all those other people we don't like. So, <laughs> so it's it's really fascinating. It it. It, it, it boggles the mind. Also, dear American viewers, I should add, as you've by now found out, the most the, the foreign country that most heavily lobbies the United States, I think I've re recently seen something like lobby expenditure and lobbies on behalf of the country, is, ding, ding, you guessed it right, uh, the uh, Ukraine, or as I like to say, it, the Ukraine. <laughs> just, I, just, I, just, I, I stepped on Fabian, I'm sorry, but... Tell us what. No, 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 no. That, uh, that, okay. that was it. I was just saying you have you have Miss New, you have the Newland, you have the Freeland. Yeah. You get all these lands, and they're all in North America dictating what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, um, might as well yeah. just have a rally on McCain Street, right in Kiev, right? So, right, all right, right, back to Christian. Yeah, and, and it would be that last name of Freeland would be like Fabian showing up as a moderate German podcaster called Fabian Lebensborn. Uh, or Fabian <laughs> Lebensraum. Um, for the viewers, if you want to Google it, um, that, that would be just like that, and I'm not even exaggerating. I wish I was. Now, continuing in the vein of Ukraine, because sort of the former Soviet Republic, a lot is happening these days, and a lot is happening where the Ukrainian war sucks away quite a bit of the world's oxygen of um, 
attention. And so something remarkable has happened earlier this year. So after a long frozen conflict um, with a lot of oil money, Azerbaijan kind of over militarily overran the Armenian uh, enclave of Nagorno-Karabakh. You remember Nagorno-Karabakh is a small enclave of Armenians in the middle of um, Azerbaijan. And it is sort of their holy mountain and is reputed to be the mountain when uh, Moses, uh, well, Noah's Ark stranded. And they have been overrun without so much of a peep from Western countries. And obviously the, the, the situation of, of Armenia is precarious. They don't have many oh. friends. Or Eastern area. countries, Mr. Putin was quite silent as well. Yes, and I mean, that yeah. the, I, I'm definitely going to make the point, not so much as a peep from Western countries, almost to be expected, but not a peep from Russia. Yes, granted, Armenia in its desperation to, to procure as many allies as it could find in a friendless area, fl flirted with the West, but it, it kind of puts a dent in, in a naive Putin fanboy yes um good kind of narratives by the way lucas uh, is about to join us if we could add him to that so this I is did. I oh, did. fantastic so this is something that's nothing short of remarkable happening in the blind spot of um the western media and with that being said i wanted to lead over to a topic that lucas can address but i in the meantime but um fabian why don't we kick it off with migration and Europe and Germany. Could you kick that topic off before we go into the crucial Bavarian state elections in a little while? Because Lucas can comment on that. Fabian, take it away. Migration. Sure. I mean, let's let's do a back and forth on this. But um, for, what's all right? A recap. When 2015 happened, when the migration crisis hit Europe in September um, of 2015. We had a frenzy, but also almost like a media hype about, um, oh, all these people are coming to Germany and Germany is showing a great face and Europe is about to uh, finally show that it's a it's it's open to towards life and blah, blah, blah. So you had all media. I mean, this was from the. the, the you know the your 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 middle or main mainstream media all the way to conservative and of course left wing media uh, bought totally into this that this is a great thing um, that Germany is opening up the gates to migrants. Now, um, I remember in those days this was covered by the media every single day. This was a topic where politicians had to outdo themselves in the support of the whole refugee policy with Angela Merkel opening up the gates. Everybody was was in, in worship of what she was doing up until the um, New Year's Eve in Cologne when um, all of a sudden you had uh, rape gangs on the Cologne Central Station and the mood in Germany started to shift. Now, we are in a situation where people are arguing we are back to migration crisis 2.0. This is hitting us again. And in Lampedusa, the, a small island off the coast of Italy, migrants from Africa are arriving in droves, absolute large numbers. And guess where they want to go? Exactly. They want to go to Germany. I remember a friend of mine, um, he was in the uh, leadership of the uh, um, young CDU, uh, Jung Union, it's like the youth wing of the party, and he went to Israel. I remember he said he saw Netanyahu, and Netanyahu was talking about refugees at that time, and he said, where do they want to go? They don't want to go to Europe. They want to go to Germany. And this is exactly what's happening now, too. They want to go to Germany. What is Germany doing? It's sort of going back and forth. The, the, uh, the, the position in Germany by a lot of voters is this is enough. We want border controls. We want our country back. We don't want this mass influx of refugees. The communities are completely um, uh, over. I mean, they, they already have too many people in their communities. They can't handle it um, at the moment. So local mayors, the counties, uh, the states, they're saying um, we can't handle this anymore. 
But the federal government is saying, oh, no, we can. So now they're actually funding um, ships in the Mediterranean that are um, picking up refugees and bringing them to either Italy, Lampedusa, or even further into Europe. Now, Elon Musk picked up on this. And I don't know, Christian, that's why I said if we want to go back and forth, should we uh, just briefly um, talk about what Elon Musk tweeted about Germany? Absolutely, but that might be a great opportunity to get Lucas and Lucas. Exactly. Um, Elon Musk kind of made himself not very popular with large segments of the commentariat. Take it away. Well, the interesting thing is Elon Musk out of nowhere came with a commentary or he basically just shared a commentary from some, I don't know, YouTuber or ex-broadcaster. And all you could see on there was like the migration crisis in the south of Europe, and Elon Musk asked the question, um, is the German government aware of this, or is the German public aware of this? And along came the uh, German foreign office that replied, actually, to Elon Musk, being like, yes, it's called saving lives. And out of that came a huge discussion of whether the whole German public is actually aware of this, um, like Musk was then like, yeah, this is not supported by the majority of Germans, which we actually know is true because every single poll says that either people don't want any migration to happen anymore, or like more recently, there was a question whether people are in favor of the 300,000 um, so-called so Obergrenze per year. Julian Reichelt from um, formerly Build Editor-in-Chief, now he's doing his own little project called um, Achtung Reichelt and News. Um, he actually asked a polling institute to um, make this poll of whether people are in favor um, of this limit, this migratory limit or not. And who would have thought so? I think around about two-thirds of Germans are in favor of a migration limit. So the interesting thing is that um, the German reply to the whole Elon Musk thing was not, oh, maybe we should actually um, discuss whether he's right or not. But instead, people came along and were like, oh, yeah, see, according to the new EU Digital Services Directive, this is why people should not have so much influence over networks. And this is why he, as the 80% owner of X, should not have the right to do all these things. Now, keep in mind, Germans do pay 18 euros 56 a month uh, per household to actually uh, get their um, to actually get their news. They need to pay for this. Uh, what can they expect for this? You would think that 18 euros 56 a month. This is more than any streaming service. I think the only streaming service that's more expensive is Hulu Live TV in the U.S. But every other thing is cheaper. Every news subscription is cheaper. But what does it give you in Germany? It gives you um, a media that is highly um, that's highly tilted to the left wing, which is also proven. It gives you a media that um, interviews their own members, um, their own employees, and give it, gives it to you as independent people. It gives you people that cry at climate um, climate kids um, demonstrations, being like, oh, you're so brave for doing all this. This is what, what you get after being forced to pay for this. And now keep in mind, if you don't pay for this, um, they're going to harass you until you go to jail or until you declare that you're actually too poor uh, for this. So Germans who want to skip the whole um, public media thing can pick between uh, being put into jail or having their credit score um, being killed, basically. Right. I mean, that sets the tone of what you get um, when you actually have government funded, mandatory funded media. So it's kind of like me us needing to subscribe to The Guardian, regardless whether we read it or not. And the, the argument has always been, well, see, in the Anglosphere, they are so sensationalist because they have to, to sell newspapers. Whereas we, we provide quality journalism because we can afford to. And yes, every now and then, every like 20 years or so, they've got a great documentary about, I don't know, Aristotle and say, see, that would have, would have never been made had it been for purely commercial reasons. And you're like, yeah, okay. But for most of 
of the time your understanding of journalism is that being the, the government's mouthpiece. So, so just, just for American viewers, the issue of migration kind of, um, kind of rips open lots of old uh, scab from old wounds, even in the UK. And so interesting enough, Obviously, in the UK as well, they've got boat migration from France. Now, American viewers and listeners, you may think France is a perfectly safe country and people coming from France are not entitled to asylum. But no, that doesn't quite work that way. The asylum industrial complex has seen to that, that these people are coming across are typically put up in four-star accommodation, um, at least. And many, many hotels along the British coast are booked up with um, migrants. And right now, there is an... Um, interesting power struggle. So the UK Supreme Court, a footnote, and that's actually interesting, the UK Supreme Court was a court that was created by Tony Blair. Prior to that Supreme Court, the House of Lords um, functioned as, as, as also a kind of Supreme Court, and they were very, very independent. They were so-called hereditary pairs, wedded to the land for many, many generations. Probably some of them could date themselves some back to Alfred the Great. And Tony Blair showed us the difference between when the left wants power or the progressives want power and when we want power. So when the British quote-unquote conservatives currently want to do something and, and the court says no, then the British conservatives says, oh well, I mean we tried, it's the court. Whereas Tony Blair, well, when he didn't like something that a court didn't do, he just founded a new court. And it kind of shows the, 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 the different kind of playing field <laughs> that's being played. So, and um, so right now, the, the, you, be that as it may, and for viewers who are interested in how systematically the United Kingdom in its very, very unique form has been dismantled, there's a brilliant book by one of the greatest living journalists, Peter Hitchens, and it's called The Abolition of Britain. I really re recommend it. There's a great audiobook out there. So Abolition of Britain, you can see how a country that had so many great things dating back to the Magna Carta and Bill of Rights and all of that, um, was systematically dismantled until we got sort of that sort of globalized sort of economic zone or waiting room that it has become. But be that as it may, the UK Supreme Court is battling it out with the European Court of Human Rights, which is one of these obscure sort of globalist things beyond the reach of anybody. And the highest court in the UK was even fine with certain deportations, even to there is sort of a brainchild dreamt up by Tory politicians to deport migrants to Rwanda, a very small country, and it's just not scalable, but it's at least it shows we're doing something. But even that was stopped in the last moment by the European Court of Human Rights. And this is kind of where we, as conservatives, bump up against conceptions of sovereignty. So the, the highest court in your land can do something if a court like far away in Strasbourg, that particular one, says no. and um, and, and, and they say, yeah, but the great thing is, see, if one day the UK goes down like the route of Nazi Germany, then it would have a court that would, would override it, to which I would say, hmm, I don't think that any genuine Nazi government would ever care what that court says. I mean, just if we remember one of the first things, both the Japanese and Nazi Germany, they left the League of Nations. So, so, so much to, to that resp response. But there's this power struggle going on. And we're seeing a lot of instruments like the United Nations Migration Pact or Migration Treaty that kind of more and more try to rip away sovereignty for countries to decide that for themselves. And if you thought it's very, very hard to do something beyond your local level, do it at state level or do it at US government level, then you haven't even tried a supranational organ like the UN or like um, the European Court of Human Rights that are in another country, that are no longer beholden to you. They've got a higher form and quite often they are part of this modern caste, really, of highly polyglot people where, and I've seen them, I've worked in The Hague for a good many years. The father is German, the mother is Spanish, they grow up with Dutch and English. And that's all great, you know, great, very capable individuals that truly help us translating and all. But also sometimes I'm like, what do you see yourselves as? Who are you beholden to? And, and so, so this is an interesting thing that's raised here. Um, before we pivot away from that topic into the upcoming Bavarian state elections, any other thoughts from you guys on the migration thing or shall we pivot straight into Bavarian state elections? 
Todd, I think you're still on mute. Sorry, I'm, not, I'm drowning out the pool noises here. But um, so before we get uh, move on, let me just say to our audience, please check sign up for our podcast. This is on any podcast provider out there and click the notification button so you get the notification the podcast is coming. And uh, I wanted to show you a couple pictures. This is the Christians, 120,000 Christians being forcibly removed from Armenia or from Nagorno-Karabakh, Armenian Christians, um, from Azerbaijan, which has forced them out, which is a Muslim country. This is Armenian migrants being led to execution by the Turkish Ottoman Empire uh, 100 years ago. So very, very, very similar situation in the region. History does rhyme. With that, we'll tell you more about this whole conversation and move on to the next subject after the break. I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. I'll hand over straight to Lucas. Lucas, the state geographically and culturally the closest to your country of origin, Bavaria. What's happening? There are state elections next weekend. What makes this such an important and interesting election? So exactly. Thank you, Christopher, for leading this over to the probably most important topic for the next two weeks in Germany. So elections are happening in Bavaria. Bavaria is Germany's economic powerhouse number one. And we all know the governor of Bavaria. I think we've talked about him last week or two weeks ago, Markus Söder and his deputy, Hubert Aiwanger. So Bavaria is a structurally conservative state in Germany, meaning that surprisingly there's never been a left-wing government. Um, the CSU, the Christian Social Party, which is like the sister party to the CDU, has always either had an absolute majority or a relatively large, um, small, like relative majority. So. For the last um, five years, they have governed together with the um, Freie Villa Party, which we've introduced in Eurobytes some weeks ago. Now, we've also talked about the fact that Hubert Aiwanger was the victim of political hit piece, like a smear campaign that was aimed at him by the Social Democrat Party. You remember his old teacher came along Despite the fact that in Germany, um, authorities or like pub public service authorities, such as schools, for example, do need to destroy documentation about you some years after you've had contact with them or after um, they were current. Out of nowhere comes Hubert Aiwanger's former, I think, history teacher or something. It's like, hey, Hubert was a neo-Nazi and I have this uh, pamphlet from 1985 uh, to show it, and who at Ivanga um, just didn't do it. Like the official story is now that who at Ivanga's brother did it. Um, we don't really know whether he did it or not, because the real question, after all, came, and this is really surprising for the German media landscape. Um, the real question became, why do you care about what Hubert Avanga did 35 years ago and still don't care about what Olaf Scholz did or did not five years ago? Olaf Scholz, you know, the German federal chancellor, um, he used to be the Lord Mayor of Hamburg, and in that role, he likely um, played a role in a bank, um, probably trying to secure um, profits from the so-called COMEX scheme in which um, taxes were double refunded on investments where like taxes were never paid, but they were refunded twice, once by German authorities um, for the initial um, shareholder and then for the one who it was transferred to. So the interesting thing about Bavaria now is the fact that the Freie Wähler Party, as we mentioned before, um, they didn't really lose in the polls. And two weeks ago, we didn't know that yet, but 
two weeks later, it turns out that the Freie Wähler actually um, got a boost through the whole smear campaign. They're now at, um, I think, 16 or 17 percent in Bavaria. Um, it's really interesting to see um, the polls anyway. I don't know, Todd, whether you have the possibility to um, to bring some some polling data in here to show that to our reader. Um, according no, to the, um, okay, so I, according I to the that. most, yeah, no problem. So according to the most recent poll by um, a rather left-wing institution called Forschungsgruppe Wahlen, which is doing this um, for the German public media, uh, the CSU is at 36%, the Freie Wähler Party uh, is at 15, AFD at 14. Now you wonder where are these other parties when they like when the center-right block and right block already has two-thirds of the majority. Simple. The Green Party has 16%, um, which is down, by the way, from 19% at the beginning of the year. The SPD, uh, the Social Democrats have nine, and the Free Democrats, you know, the ones with Christian Lindner, the the ones who centrists actually and centrists and traditional liberals actually thought they could save them and they could basically, they could keep the ample, the, this um, red, um, amber and green coalition in Germany from turning totally batshit crazy, pardon my French. Um, they thought it would be the party that would kind of like um, save them from being like totally crazy. Turns out it did not. And the Bavarian voter does not um, feel like it. The Bavarian voter will decide uh, during this election, which is going to happen very soon, that um, the Free Democrats will no longer be a will not be a part of the um, of the next Bavarian state parliament. I think. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Christian or um, Fabian. I think they're not part of this, um, of the Bavarian Landtag right now either. I'm not entirely sure, Fabian. Um, I think they are at the moment, but, okay. um, just. Just <laughs> okay, good, good for them. Good for them to uh, find a way out of there. It seems like they have a really hard time knowing what the people want anyway. Um, why is this whole thing interesting? So in Bavaria, we can see there's been a smear campaign from the left side. It did not work. Um, now, right next to Bavaria on the map is Baden-Württemberg. This is going to be election only in 2025, I think, or 2026. However, AFD turns out to be the second largest party out of nowhere or a third largest party with just 1% behind the Green Party in the polls. No one would have thought that um, this would happen in Baden-Württemberg, which is another economic powerhouse, which is a party, uh, which is a state in which the AFD party really had a hard time getting a foot on the ground for the past years. Um, people who are more interested in Baden-Württemberg politics remember that there's been some really weird AFD people, one has to say, um, like old, old people who are like, um, yeah, kind of forgot that 1945 has actually passed. But no matter how you see this, um, Bavaria and Baden-Württemberg show that the AFD is not a party that's being voted for just by people who are poor or who are in Eastern Germany, which is something um, that's always been kind of like derogatory um, from the, let's say, political left side. You know, whenever... Um, Eastern German states uh, publish new polls, and it turns out that AFD is at 25 or 30 percent. The initial reaction is, oh, yeah, these stupid, poor, old Eastern Germans who are living in either the Third Reich or in the German Democratic Republic, they don't know what they're doing. Could so, I quickly yeah, sure. Um, so just for American viewers, how East Germans were quite often portrayed since the reunification, and they're portrayed in the media, they are kind of a bit like the southern United States. So they are officially That's the true, people yeah. you're allowed to, whose accent you're allowed to make fun of. They are the people you're officially allowed to sort of not like and constantly lecture. Um, so, you know, like uh, viewers and listeners from the southern United yeah. States might have experienced That's, the same. That's and that would be our analogy. So the interesting thing is um, on Tuesday, Germany celebrates the, um, the German Unity Day once more 
in which we actually celebrate that we don't longer make a difference between West Germans and East Germans. But interestingly, it's, um, I think there's like a new divide. When I moved to Germany 10 years ago, no one really cared about whether you're Eastern German or Western German. But um, thanks, to the, thanks to the rise of AFD, it really started to be an issue once more. And I think this is an issue that's not being brought forward by conservatives, but rather an issue being brought forward by the left people who are like, oh, yeah, these people are living in the past and they're not they're not a part of nowadays Germany. Like I read on X today where there's um, a commentator who's like, Eastern Germany shows out shows out what happens when all people are native germans and there's like a lack of educated people in the workforce and i was like this is um this is really disappointing and you know there's um in the german in the german uh, criminal code there's volksverhetzung which is uh, the crime of uh, talking derogatory about uh, certain people religions like about protected groups, you know, things you can't change. And I think it's really surprising that so many people actually talk bad things about their own home country of Germany and no one's ever going to prosecute them. But um, the moment you talk bad stuff about, I don't know, Turkey or the dictator of Iran or something, someone's going to come after you and be like, oh, yeah, but that was derogatory. Now, we've talked about one state where there's elections happening and where there's like an interesting move, not really to the right, but within the right, because um, the question is whether the Freie Wähler block is really right wing or not. But for, for better or worse, they're structurally conservative. They're pro, they're like pro um, green power. They're also pro bees. Germans remember that the main reason for the Freie Wähler to actually uh, get a foothold in Bavarian politics was a plebiscite on whether or not bees should be protected um, from certain pesticides. So they're kind of like traditional conservatives, I'd say. They're like, um, they don't really have migration policy. They don't really have any, uh, any say on like economic policy abroad, importing, exporting. They're like real centrists, I'd say. And guess what? Being a centrist, you know, in this political compass memes, they're, they're the people who just want to barbecue. They're the ones really in the center. But um, being in the center makes you right wing nowadays. So for better or worse, uh, we can say that um, Hubert Aiwanger and his crew are some kind of right-wing conservatives who just want to take their country back. Um, the third and last state I'd like to talk about really briefly, sorry for this being so long, is the state of Hesse. They're going to vote just one week after Bavaria, and the Social Democrat um, main candidate is Nancy Faeser, who is the German Federal Minister of the Interior. And the Ministry of the Interior is more like the Homeland Security Ministry in the US. So Nancy Faeser is responsible for all these um, pseudo-refugees crossing the borders. And the interesting thing is the motivation of Ms. Faeser to run um, for governor in Hesse is most likely that she just wants to leave um, federal politics and wants to find a job where she can do nothing and still get her money's worth. Um, turns out that the voters um, do not really embrace her policies, uh, neither in Hessen nor in Germany. So I think, um, Christian Fabian, you know this, um, the Hessian Social Democrat Party is at, I think, 15 or 16 percent by now, and they're just 1 percent above the AFD. So what's going to happen is AFD is going to turn out better than Social Democrats. And guess what? What's, what will the ample coalition learn from this? What will the Social Democrats learn from this? Barely nothing. Mark my words, Nancy Faeser will remain Minister of the Interior in Germany, or do you have any different view on that? Well, I think um, personally, I had this discussion today. Um, you know, you used to have politicians in, that would resign over the most bizarre stuff. Um, nowadays, when it comes to taking responsibility, I don't think, you, you know, um, when you just blatantly outright lose an election, 
you don't have to uh, uh, take any responsibility. I think the, the critical question, and just for our last part of today's show, what we should maybe focus on are the implications. A couple of implications. First of all, Lucas, you had, um, you had uh, we looked at the polls from Baden-Württemberg and we saw, uh, as you mentioned, 20%, the IFD is polling at 20%. Now, again, for American viewers, just to realize the demography and the setup of the state, this is, you, you said it's an economic powerhouse. To be specific, this is, um, you know, this is Stuttgart. This is the home of Mercedes. This is the home of Porsche. This is the home of Bosch. This is the home of big global companies. Uh, these the Swabians are um, next to the Scots. They always say that uh, the Swabians and the Scots invented the copper wire because somebody threw a penny between them and they were so stingy that they started pulling. And there you go. You have the copper wire. So you have quite the stingy population, very economically uptight at the same time, save your money, buy a house, build a house, uh, that type of deal. Also, um, to focus on the Christian aspect, the or faithful Christian, not the name. Um, this is the Bible Belt of Germany. Uh, Baden-Württemberg is where a lot of the big churches are, even the Protestant mainline me mega churches, mainly located around Stuttgart. So you have structurally a, quite a conservative population. At the same time, this conservatism somewhat has drifted into this environmentalist conservatism. Oh, we must save the planet. So maybe a lot of Christians in, in Baden-Württemberg felt prompted to vote for the Green Party because they felt they had to save the planet. Now, with the IFD polling so polling, not polling, polling so high, one interesting factor that should not be ruled out and what's worth mentioning is that there are a lot of Turks that live in Stuttgart. Stuttgart. Um, many of the viewers who are maybe in the military, I mean, uh, US um, UCOM is there. I think AFRICOM is also in Stuttgart. Big um, military base. Uh, so there is American presence in Stuttgart. So any viewers who know the region probably have seen that there are quite a number of um, large immigrant groups in that area. Nonetheless, you have as compared to like Berlin, very integrated migrants. So the Turks that live in the Stuttgart area are very integrated into Germany. Uh, they speak the local dialect, they work hard, they build, they build their own businesses. And interestingly enough, these are quite a big chunk of the IFD voters. So this would be comparable to um, Latinos in the United States that would vote Trump um, because they feel like the other parties are uh, not representing either their conservative values or any of the other um, um, problems that they face, especially, and this is a big, big deal for migrants in Germany, that like, let's say you're a Turk, you've lived in Germany for 30 years. It was the Turkish community in, I mean, you can't speak for everybody, but in instances where they, where they actually were very much against the refugee influx of 2015 because they said these people are going to ruin it for us all of the hard bit work we've done in the last 30 40 50 years the businesses we've built um the trust that we've built with the german population is going to be ruined by an influx of migrants where all of a sudden nobody can differentiate between an uh, afghani migrant and a turk so those are factors that have to be pulled into pulled into this uh, or variables that have to be put into this polling. That's an interesting fact. And I think, and this is going to be one of the implications we do need to focus on, what will happen when the IFD continues to rise, especially in the West? What is going to happen? Are you going to have a coalition of four or five parties that are going to build governments against the IFD if the IFD is going to lead? Because quite frankly, gentlemen, if you even look in the national polling, they've reached 23%. If you break that down, the, the CDU-CSU is polling at 27%. But those are two parties in a what is called a union. So the Bavarian CSU and the rest of Germany CDU is polling at 27%. If you break that down, they're polling at, what, 18%? So de facto, the AfD is already Germany's leading party in the polls. What is going to happen in the future? How long will that firewall, as they say, against the IFD 
is going how long is that going to hold up so that's a that's a really important question to ask because absolutely the the truth is and this is the other truth um the ifd as 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 shady as they are okay i mean todd you've covered this you've covered maximilian Krah, you've covered the connections with china as shady as they are they are the only ones that are officially talking with the maga republican wing so they are the only ones that are actually poised or ready or even embracing a trump takeover in 2025 no other party is ready or wants to be ready or is even discussing this. Let me just break in there mentioning Craw. Yes, we did have a reporter, Matthew Termond, who uh, put out those investigative reports, and I'm not uh, necessarily um, rebutting what he wrote, but his agenda is in question and he's no longer with this network. So uh, because of other things he has done in Brazil and with other... Um, actions so um we're not i i don't know i can't vouch for his reporting so we took all his articles down so just to say that okay well fair point and mm-hmm. and um you know we're not going to go into any of the ccp connections mm-hmm. but let's uphold the fact that um Kra has well, a- let me let me just sorry you yeah. could make an argument that he was trying to bring down of the or some other entity okay along with other agenda items he has put out it's like they take a kernel of truth and they and they grow it into something else okay you know so anyway no and and, and i mean okay so with kra i here's here's what i know about kra i know that kra has 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 um for, for those of the viewers just to understand this he is a um member of the european parliament he, or he is the um, he is from Dresden. He, he used to be in the CDU. He left the CDU to join the AfD in 2015, and his mission now is to destroy the CDU. He wants to destroy the centrist party of Germany because he, in his vision, they are part of um, the mainstream blob that are unable to solve the problems. His vision or his goal has been. Yes, he is a member of the um, uh, New York Republicans. He's been on he's been on Capitol Hill talking to, uh, especially um, I mean the, the 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 Trump wing of the party. Um, he is building those connections. I know that Steve Bannon has been uh, linked with him, um, but at the same time, I know that with him being from East Germany, um, and yes, he's a hardcore Catholic. But he has somewhat in his language embraced, um, I don't want to say socialism. That, that's not his economic standpoint. But he has sort of embraced certain elements of, of the old um, Eastern Bloc, maybe to, to gain voters that would vote for him. But at the same time, his initiative or his vision has been to fight wokeism. Um, or, or, or the vision has been you have to align with anybody um, outside of the United States to fight the, the woke blob. So, yeah. Right. Um, so we quickly have lost Todd, but we'll just uh, we'll continue. Um, yep. it, it, it is remarkable um, what is happening. And I think we, we call this block the implications for the wider uh, political or geopolitical landscape within Germany and beyond Germany. So, so if I was to give an analogy, we've got all chess pieces on the board and somebody's violating, violently shaking all the, the chess pieces. Um, we will go into the election of Slovakia, but we're looking at a number of things just to recap, dear viewers and then listeners. So a lot of open wounds and scabs are being opened these days. Suddenly the Armenian questions in the blind spot of Western and Eastern powers started becoming very relevant. Who, who is who's the advocate for, for Armenia? They, they don't have many friends in, in that region. We've got the Kosovo question suddenly breaking up. So it was one of these things that we sort of pacified with a lot of money and NATO troops, and it just, boom, that suddenly blows up in our face. 
again. We've got sort of we were we had hoped that the whole like extremely high level of migrants like visibly for the television cameras like overflowing in Italian island. We had we when I say we I mean the establishment had hoped that had gone away. It has blown up into people's faces again. In the UK, they don't seem to be able to end boat migration from France. So, so many open view wounds are breaking up. Things we had swept under the rock are still there and they're rearing their head. Um, speaking both to weakness of leadership all across the EU, probably weakness of American leadership. I'm going to put that with a question mark. And that being said, Lucas, what's happening in Slovakia? Just to highlight, it's like everywhere the pieces are being shaken. Yep. Um, just a small note, Slovakia has had its elections yesterday. And guess what? Ukraine was a huge topic. And as the victor of this election came out, the party of Robert Fico, the smear party with 23% of the vote, and they are not really in favor of Ukraine. They're more one can say they're really in favor of Russia. Like um, the party chairman also mentioned that um, he will do everything to get Russia-Ukraine peace talks getting started. And I think this is really interesting when you see that um, Germany seems to be this island, um, like this island of the blessed or this island of the blind, you could better say. Um, the whole world is turning, the whole world is changing, but uh, German politicians um, still try to cling on what they've actually never had, which is um, a country that is like, um, that has a lot of migration and can handle all this migration. Like, I think we're all discussing whether or not um, integration doesn't work, but integration in Germany in the majority never worked. Um, Fabian pointed this out before with the, um, the Turkish that came to Bad Württemberg. They're actually well integrated, but um, most people have never been integrated. And from all the Turks who came here as so-called Gastarbeiter, like guest workers, um, they haven't been integrated for the past decades, especially when you look um, to other German-speaking countries like Austria or Switzerland in the majority. Um, no, like regardless of which um, population came to this country, integration just did not work. Um, what is the Turkish for Germany is the the Kosovars for um, for the Swiss, and is for example the um, some yeah Turks in Austria as well. The interesting thing is that this is just a cultural difference because guess what. Um, unlike most Gastarbeiter in Germany who are Turkish, um, Austria has had a lot of people um, from former Yugoslavia and from Hungary already. Like in 1955, when the, um, or 1956, I think, when the uh, Soviets crushed the Hungarian people's uprising, tens of thousands of Hungarians fled to Austria for them to never come back to Hungary. Um, in 1968, when the Prague Spring um, was crushed by the Soviet tanks, tens of thousands of people actually came to Austria only for them to stay in Austria forever. When the wars in um, Yugoslavia started in 1990, Slovenes came, Croatians came, Serbs came. They all found a welcoming population and they also found a people um, that actually knew of how to make use of their new people in there by putting them into work, by helping them speak German and stuff. So most, like, take Vienna, for example. Um, Christian, you know that. You've been to Vienna recently. Um, Vienna has been a city with a lot of foreigners for the past 500 years. And it also, like, it's the somewhat positive example of the melting pot of Christians. Um, but there's some boroughs in the city where there's a melting pot of other cultures. So people tend to not go there anymore. But um, just to put a big line underneath or, or under what I've said now, Germany is not changing its policy for the next years until the ample coalition is going to be voted out of power. But while Germany is trying to maintain the status quo and I don't know whether you've discussed this earlier um, when I haven't been around yet. While Germany is actually keeping the rest of Europe in this kind of sick, um, 
uh, how do you say, in the sixth situation where they're kind of like taken hostages, where they've taken 26 other EU member states hostage just for them uh, to keep their failed migratory policy working, where they're financing um, boats that drop people off in Italy, where they're like, where they're supporting these institutions that host these boats with 8 million euros every single year. Um, in this whole situation, Germany is trying to uh, maintain the status quo while the whole rest of Europe wants it to change. And the times are changing and Germany needs to um, come clear. And especially the German mainly left-wing Twitter intelligentsia, now ex-intelligentsia, will have a hard time waking up. But there's like hundreds of thousands of people um, coming to Germany illegally every single year and the numbers just grow and grow and out of nowhere comes Nancy Faeser and now this, uh, now says that oh we do actually have a migration problem and I think that voters are not gonna voters are not gonna buy this story voters do remember that three weeks ago Nancy Faeser was like everything is fine the whole house is on fire but Nancy Faeser uh, sits on the um, balcony and it's like, this is all very much fine. It, so this is going to lower the heating cost for the next weeks. I think that uh, was sort of a good um, segue, uh, Lucas, uh, in terms of wrapping up the podcast, the times, they are changing and the chess pieces are shaken all over the place. Probably just to wrap up, super um, short final thoughts from, uh, from us before I'm going to have the last uh, thought from my side. So Fabian, take it away and then Lucas, and then I'll give our final outro. All right. Um, we've, we've done a, a whole smorgasbord today of topics. Um, Ukraine is on the verge. Um, how long can it uh, sustain its position? How long can it hold? Um, how long will U.S. support um, continue to flow to Ukraine? Will the... Um, Budget crisis in the United States affect that? I mean, those are questions that we're going to look to in the next couple of weeks um, in our next segment. Um, again, we've talked about uh, um, the migrant crisis. That's only going to widen and it's going to completely affect the political situation in Europe on a whole. And finally, the state elections um, in, in Bavaria in Hesse and even the polling of the AfD in, in other states is going to, um, as, as Lucas had mentioned, the, the next two weeks, this, this is going to be the main discussion topic. So um, to wrap up, I think in two weeks' time we'll be smarter. In two weeks' time we're going to have a new picture of what's going to happen. And you always have to remember that elections in Hesse uh, so this is the state where Frankfurt's located in, um, and Wiesbaden also another big important garrison uh, or garrison uh, for for the United States military. Um, look, these elections have big implications, and Hesse has always had a big influence on what's going to happen nation on the on, on the federal level as a whole. So. Who knows what will happen within the coalition, within this traffic light coalition, if they get a stunning defeat. That'll be an interesting uh, aspect to see if they completely lose both in Bavaria and in Hesse, which is quite likely. Um, you will not know um, unless unless Scholz tries to hold on to power desperately. Um, there's going to be some different um, shifts that are going to come. There's going to be some big shifts, in my opinion, that are going to come and the tables will be turned and the cards will be reshuffled. Um, so look for all viewers, look um, to see some uproar in Germany in the next couple of weeks after those elections have happened. And I think we'll be smarter after that. That's my point. And I'm looking forward to next week. Over to Lucas. Thank you very much, Christian. Well, my final words in this episode, try to focus on what's happening in all of Europe. It's so exciting to see that so many countries are actually following what the people want. There's so many elections happening right now. And 
there's really a move to the right direction here. I don't want to say it's a move to the right wing, but it's a move uh, closer to what people want. It's a move closer to um, getting people into power who are like being held accountable. And we can see this, uh, Todd, while you were not there, we talked briefly about Slovakia, for example. Um, you look at countries like Sweden, um, a German tabloid build has on its title page um, the end of Bulabu. So it's like the end of the Swedish romantic um, ideal of everything's working like IKEA. The whole IKEA was <laughs> breaking together um, thanks to migrants who found uh, grenade throwers, gr um, grenades, and rocket launchers or something. So you can see that um, Europe as a whole is moving. Europe as a whole um, might actually be a better place in a year from now, but Germany for sure is not because everyone wants to come to Germany. And, you know, the final words I could, or I want to say, half a year ago, um, there's been like i don't what i don't know whether that was just a parody or whether that was a real video it was from last year's Oktoberfest, and there's a woman screaming um habibi come to germany and i'm like um reading the comments now a year half a year later and people are like no stop coming we don't even have any space in here for you so germany is facing so many crises and i think the, the traffic light coalition, as Fabian put it rightfully, uh, they're not going to make it. They're going to solve this issue. And for the next years, they still have the power. Uh, Germany is a representative democracy. So for the next years, um, this sad play will go on and people will suffer. Um, more than 100,000 Germans leave the country every single year, like the migratory um um, total statistic, I think 300,000 people leave, 200,000 come back. Keep in mind, all these people are well-educated. These people are net taxpayers. Um, they pay into the system, but they just don't think that the system's going to work for them anymore. And the thing I'd like to say is, Germany is such a great country, and in two days, Germany is celebrating its um, Unity Day, where the Eastern German um, states actually rejoined Germany. And there's so much potential. But look at the country, how it is now, and look at the hope that people from the East put in when they joined this country um, 33 years ago. I think, um, very, last sentence, I'm really sorry. Um, the so the Christian Democrat Party campaigned with um, for a Germany in which we like to live well and safely. And the German president Steinmeier some time ago said that this is the best um, version of Germany that ever existed on the German um, nation's area. Now, keep in mind, people like people just are not having it anymore. This this whole country is facing a recession while other countries do much better economically. This country has a lot of poverty um, for old people who actually worked in this country. People who come here um, as migrants who've never worked actually fare way better than people who've lived in this country their whole lives who are native Germans. And if this is the if this is the best Germany that's ever been there, then I think Mr. Steinmeier um, is going to have a really hard time um, being here in Hamburg for the German Unity Day in two days. Right. So with that, before I hand over to Todd as the host of the show, two interesting themes that I think we've worked out in this particular episode and that we will keep on our radar and dear viewers and listeners remind us if we don't. There's one the emerging one-party state. So in spite of us being a representative democracy and not quite the same as winner-takes-all as the UK and the United States de facto, if all the other parties unite, it becomes the uni-party, as we have seen in large parts of the United States. So sort of the emerging, emergent one-party democracy, as it were, that's something we're going to track because that's a very considerable hurdle for all the European right to clear. So that's one thing. We will continue to track this if that's what we are seeing. The other th uh, thing that we are seeing, whenever we hear conservative proclamations, be that from the Freie Wähler in Bayern, or be that from the CDU, or even the Green Party moving verbally to the right, um, 
the Tories have started playing a really interesting game in the UK, which I call, how conservative do we have to be in order to be elected? So for instance, they recently rolled back the whole, okay, only electric vehicle by five years, big whoop. And they were like, hey, what about raising taxes? Oh, no, okay, fine, fine, fine. So the, the, and then I think a lot of the establishment parties are going to play the game and we will track it and we'll call, call it out. Then that's what we're seeing. And with that, the ball into Todd's court for the final words. Well, thank you. Um, sorry, my internet at the hotel died, so I had to run. And I don't know if you can hear me now because yep. this one is pretty spotty. Perfect. But um, am I there? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. So my only comment is that I still don't see Germany understanding that they want to destroy you. There is no path with any coalition. There is no path. They want to destroy the country. The matrix wants to destroy Germany as it exists today. So until Germany realizes that and takes action to stop it, as we are doing in the U.S., Nothing will change. There'll be new coalitions. They'll say the right things and do the exact opposite, just like Kevin McCarthy just did to us. So we understand now that they want to destroy this nation and republic. And Western Europe needs to catch up to what America understands, in my opinion. And that's all I have. In that sense, well, thank you so much for a great session today. And looking forward to next week when we will be reporting almost live from the Bavarian elections. Thank you. And I, I won't be at the weed farm next week. So I'll see you. <laughs> Take care. Before we get started, so welcome everybody.